Today, documentary films are experiencing a major renaissance, and for good reason. But why are audiences increasingly choosing fact over fiction? Is it a dearth of realism, like endless comic book sequels and end-of-the-world action movies? Are viewers choosing authentic storytelling over spectacular visuals and far-fetched plots? Or maybe it's because docs f***ing rule. Hi, I'm Paco Romain. And I'm George Chen. And we host SupDoc. We didn't go to film school. We're just two comedians that dork out on docs. And since 2015, we've been recapping amazing documentaries with comedians, actors, and filmmakers like legendary comedians Dana Gould and Todd Glass. Musicians like Yacht and Dan Deacon. And even media stars like Jesse Thorne and Francesca Fiorentini. The AV Club called us enlightening, and Boing Boing said SupDoc is a great idea for a podcast. So find us wherever you get your podcasts or join us at SupDocPodcast.com. And follow us on social media at Subdoc Podcast. In Southern California, just outside Hollywood, there is a most unusual hotel. A hotel dedicated to the golden age of cinema and the departures of its most influential and notorious players. It is a destination that spotlights the manners in which these men and women of Hollywood perished. A place where every room's design tells a story by mirroring the locales of famous celebrity hotel crime scenes and deaths. From the President's Day killing of screenwriter Conrad Burnett at the Peach Grove Resort outside Atlanta, to the accidental asphyxiation of film executive Irving Adler while on holiday at Colorado's Frankfurt Hotel. The rooms are decorated with an array of evidence and clues, unique to each death, and fitted with a cast of department store mannequins, which stand in for those involved. Welcome to the Swan Hotel. Tonight's episode features the sordid and somewhat romanticized tale behind Room 809, as it's told by Detective Albert Graysmith during a 1962 policeman's charity dinner. The event is being held in the hotel's newly finished ballroom, incidentally designed to look like the Crimson Room in Manhattan's Posh Chandler Hotel, where beloved magician and 1931's Banquet for Two co-star, Professor Wickwire, drowned in front of an unknowing crowd during a standing ovation. Looking back on my 20-some years at Homicide, this one takes the cake. The story centers on the death of a disreputable pornographer named Elliot Marks and begins simply enough with the arrival of a foxtrot bus. Her name was Jillian Andrews, and she came to Hollywood in 1937 with aspirations, like most, of becoming an actress. Surveying a Los Angeles area map outside Union Station, she is spotted across the parking lot by smut peddler Elliot Marks, who promised her fame and prestige, the likes of which she never imagined. Ah, the 1020 from Dungville via Husktown right on time, and carrying what appears to be a very respectable stock, I might add. Well, maybe a few too many Y chromosomes, though. Well, well, well. What do we have here? A stray from the herd, shapely and fair, baptized in buttermilk and wrapped in a homemade quilt of middle America naivete. 
A very enticing catch indeed. Now, how to reel this one in? Sympathy? Bribery? No. I think the time-honored Good Samaritan will do just fine. Straighten up, Elliot. Time to go to work. Ready? Steady? Wait for it. Car. Hey, genius! Watch it! Oh my heavens, are you okay? Yes, I, I'm, I'm fine. I, I think they broke my wife's pendant, though. God rest her soul. Here, let me help you. Oh, you're very kind. There you go. Thank you. You're very welcome. Wait a minute. I know you, don't I? Oh, no, that's impossible. You look very familiar. I don't see how that could be. I only just... Sure! I remember! You were up on that billboard at First and Hill. Yeah. Your, your, your hair was all done up and you had these strands of pearls around your neck. You almost caused quite the... Uh, accident. Oh, I'm never certain that wasn't me. You mean you're not a model? <laughs> no. I find that hard to believe. You're very pretty. Well, actually, back home in Wallenpock, Indiana, that's where I'm from, I was a Peabody Pickles girl. Peabody Pickles? You don't say. At last year's county fair, I handed out the blue ribbon during the pickle bobbing contest. I even got to shake hands with the mayor. Well, there you go. I can see how I made the mistake. You're a natural. Yeah? Beauty and status. Really? Absolutely. You're like the head on a Greek coin. Gosh, yeah? Well, I should know. Are you in the business? Jeez. Am I that obvious? Oh. I'm sorry, I didn't... Actually, I'm a director. For the movies? Pretty glamorous, huh? I'll say. But what I really want is to be an actress. I had that feeling. I saved up every last penny I could to make it out here. The hardest thing, though, was saying goodbye to Tippy, my cocker spaniel. Oh, no, not Tippy! She has had a litter of pups, and it was ever so hard to leave them behind. Well, Miss, um... Andrews. Jillian. Well, Miss Andrews. Jillian... Today is your lucky day, because I know a kind heart and a classical beauty when I see it. Trust me, kiddo, a step in my direction is a step towards stardom. Now, have you ever done a screen test? No. Step this way. Let me show you my card. Together, Marks and Andrews made a stockpile of classy, highbrow films like Amazon Head Huntresses, Lady Braves of the Amazon, and Exotic Amazon Princesses. There was this popular wild beast of the Amazon Deep in which Andrews' character was sent from Cambridge to a remote section of Brazil, which was said to be inhabited by naked primitives. It was Andrews' character's job to study the hostiles and tame them with her sultry ways. Quiet on the set. Roll them. Action! Okay, Jillian. Now, you continue walking when suddenly you notice torches in the distance. It's a village. My train is caught. Shouldn't I be wearing my explorer outfit? Just go with it. And, cue natives. Who's there? 
Who disturbs the tree line? Oh, um... Greetings! My name is Dr. Eleanor Flick. I'm a young and attractive professor with an IQ of 180. Why does a professor stalk this village in the night alongside big cats? My camp sits in a valley clearing not far from here. I couldn't sleep, so I went out for a walk. I have no idea how close I was to your village. Why are you here? I was sent to the jungle to study your people and bridle their savagery with my own unique method of healing, a process I perfected during my earlier years involving co-ed studies that would later result in a diagnosis of tennis elbow. We do not seek your domestication. Your wicked city ways are of no use to us. We cannot be swayed. Our appearance may seem feral and our standards loose, which knowingly cause us to come across as easy. But down here in the village, our hearts are righteous and beat with a less carnal purpose. The people up on the hill, though, that is a different story. Anyways, you look like a bright enough girl. Why demean yourself for scientific pursuit? My execution may be flawed, but I assure you my aim is pure. Then perhaps you can help. You see, my father, Chief Manawazarami... Manawazarami? What's that mean? Loosely translated, no backtalk. Anyway, my father lives up on the hill amongst the other amorous souls with fleshly desires. And if I don't pay him the three goats and two chickens I owe him, he's going to kick me out of my hut. I got fired from my job down at the clay pit last season, and I'm kind of behind on my rent. Maybe you can convince him to give me more time. Why would he listen to me? You see, your hair is yellow like the sun, and, well, he's a day person. I was sent here to learn your ways and immerse myself in your culture. After all, I am an intelligent woman, like you said, much more than the scared, soaking wet beauty standing before you. I'm sure I could try and reason with him. Yes. Yes, I will speak to him. Yeah, yeah, speak with him. That's good. Anyway, take these buckets of hot animal oil and the ceremonial headdress with you. Oh, and don't forget to protect your yam-yams. He's a biter. By 1941, Marx had exhausted the entire globe of nymphomaniacal savages, and soon the studio's money had become in short supply. Marx was broke and began selling off sections of the back lot to a group of expanding dairy farmers from Burbank. Marx was desperate, but did his best to keep up appearances around the girls. You girls did some fine work today. Very dramatic. Theaters are going to burn holes in these prints will run them so much. I'm telling you, this farm motif is going to catch on in a big way. Now, grab a glass of milk and put down your feet. You've earned it. Now, who do you suppose that could be? Well, it's probably Selznick with my chains from the other night. Elliot Marks. I'm sorry, gentlemen, but this is a closed set. Not to mention, we're on break. Uh, kindly state your business. Tatum Recovery Agency. We're seizing your assets. Oh, um, I'm afraid there must be some kind of mistake. Don't think so, bub. Got the signature right here. Step aside. I must insist that you recheck your invoice. Reading and wait, pal. Afternoon, ladies. This is illegible. I... Ladies? Whoa, 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 what do you think you're doing? Hey, put that down. And how dare you just barge in here like a couple of unexpected hams on Christmas? Now take a look around, you. This is a flourishing studio. Duh, and it stinks to high heaven. Now, you listen to me, Jack. Oh, God, you're built like a locomotive. Yeah, I wouldn't touch the big guy if I were you, buddy. <clears throat> See what I mean? Now, 
You two listen here. The bank said I had two more days. Two more days. Rental houses, too. I, I, I spoke with the Mr. Shirley. I complimented him on his jacket so he didn't feel self-conscious about the stain on his tie. We got our orders. Well, well I'm relieving you of your orders. How's that, huh? Uh, just go home, run a hot bath, put on some Jackie Kyle on the record player. We'll forget you were ever here. Sorry, pal. Take it up with the agency. Mm. And that's how it's gonna be, huh? That's how it's gonna be. Or do I need to point out the ogre in the room again? Fair enough, fair enough. Well, uh, thank you, my good man, for alleviating us of this second-hand junk. It's become quite the eyesore. I hope you brought a big enough truck, because I want it all gone. And thank you for showing up on such short notice. Now, tell your boss to add two more bits to your day's wages and put it on my bill. Elliot, what are these men doing here? What are they doing? What does it look like they're doing? They're getting rid of all these shoddy set pieces you girls keep complaining about. Furniture, too. Why, just look at the upholstery on that love seat. It's falling clean off. No more splinters in your sweet little derrieres. And I'll tell you this. From now on, we use horsehair. Uh, hey, uh, Stumpy, hey, uh, might I have a word with you? Watch the name, Colin Cueball. Nice rug. Listen, you see those pretty maids over there all in a row? Yeah, I see them. What of it? My sister's husband got two. Not like these. Young and dumb and hundreds of miles away from home, hmm? Well, I don't know how intelligent they are. Put back the loot, and I'll let you get friendly with one of your choosing. Give him a good roll in the hay. Sorry, freak. Ain't my cup of tea. No, no, no. The girls, you idiot. Pick one you want to hear squeal, and we'll pretend the stuff was already gone when the two of you arrived, hmm? Any one of them? Just say the word. The blonde in the flower print. Excellent choice. Uh, oh, uh, Jillian, dear, uh, could you come here for a moment? Uh, I have a very special scene for you. Mark saw this as an opportunity and quickly began whoring out the girls. Men paid Marks for sessions with the women which he, in turn, filmed. In the beginning, Andrews and the other actresses were unaware of their prostitution, which was hidden behind a veil of loose plots and uncoordinated costumes. Though, the girls' suspicions rose when dialogue ceased and the quality of men in the sessions began to decline. The truth of the situation reared its ugly head when a few of the girls, including Andrews, began to take beatings. <laughs> And Marx did nothing to control the men. The only thing he was good for was keeping the camera rolling. No! Stop! Don't! Stop! <laughs> I see out there that the main courses are starting to make their way around. Honey. Don't touch my lamb. <laughs> now, where was I? Ah, yes. Abuse toward the girls continued and showed no signs of letting up. Not while Marx's wallet continued to grow. Andrew's spirit was broken and her once vital and optimistic expression now drained and replaced with guilt and humiliation. 
the former happy-go-lucky would-be actress, had found herself locked into a situation she was incapable of escaping on her own. And a recently suspended detective, Walter Banks, who, while trying to get down a piece of cherry pie at the Comstock Diner on 5th, noticed a shaken Andrew sitting alone. How's the pie, hon? It's, uh, it's very good. Glad you like it. I made it myself. Interesting texture. Really stays with you. Can't get it down quick enough, huh? Yeah. Something like that. What you reading there? Uh, this? Nothing. Actually, I was looking for the funnies. Oh, is that about that Ohio girl? Wasn't that terrible? Poor thing. I can't even imagine. Just left on the side of the river like that? Exposed? You know, they said she'd been out there for three days before that couple found her. Two. Two? Well, you would know better on account of you got the paper. Still, just awful. It's a good thing they caught the guy. Paper said he was an amateur numismatist. Monster. If you ask me, society is well rid of him. You alright, sweetie? You look a little perturbed. But what's that? Heard a big shot use it once in here talking about the corned beef hash. I'm fine. I'll tell you what. I'll bring you another slice of pie on the house. Oh, no, that's okay. Thank you. It's very filling. Get me another slice of pie, Janine, would ya? Tastes like a wet mop after finishing up with the Johns at the Cooler County Fairgrounds and after one cent funnel cake. <laughs> and the pie claims another victim. Excuse me, miss. Huh? Are you okay? Uh, yes. Thank you. You sure? Yes. <laughs> no, no need to concern yourself. I gotta tell you, you have one of the worst poker faces I've ever seen. That's <laughs> mm, sweet. But really, I'm fine. You just go back to your pie. Right. What pie? Here you go, hon. Brought you a big one with extra filling. Had to wrestle it out of the tin. Oh, boy. Would you look at that? You shouldn't have. Don't mention it. No, really. It's late and I have my car. Probably not safe to drive home with a belly full of extra filling. I'm liable to slip into a coma and drift over into oncoming traffic. Take out a bus of rehabilitated sugar fiends en route to a conference in an ironic twist of fate. <laughs> oh, nonsense. Eat up. What is that? Ammonia? You know, I could just slide this right off the table. No one would ever know. It was an accident. Yeah, yeah. An accident. <laughs> Miss? I'm sorry. I'll try to keep it down. Do you mind if I join you? See, I've just been willed an extra one of these, and well, frankly, my back teeth are already floating in cherry syrup, and it's likely to start coming out my ears unless I get some help. It's very nice of you, but... If we finish both of them before the breakfast crowd rolls in, they'll let us keep the bibs. I'll see what I can do. Every little bit counts. It just seems silly for the both of us to be sitting alone, and me with two pieces of pie, and you with nothing but a lonely cup of tea with no milk, an act my ex would call oh so uncivilized. Yeah, well... I don't much care for milk anymore. 
Not since witnessing all the unspeakable uses for it. Caking on your skin and in your hair. It's, it's dreadful. Guess I'm pretty green to today's beauty regiments. Oh, I'm sorry. Here you go. Well, I would ask you what you think of the pie, but judging by the bits of crust ricocheting off my forehead, that won't be necessary. My goodness. Who was your father? P.T. Barnum? Sorry. Sorry? Who's sorry? Don't apologize. I've just never seen something so small put away something so quickly. When was the last time you ate? Money's been a little tight lately. Absence more like it, I'm sure. You got a job? Mm-hmm. Doing what? Mm. Sort of a bunch of jobs. Then what's the problem? Things just didn't turn out the way I expected. Circumstances have a funny way of pulling the rug out from under us. Is there a, uh, a Mr. Pie Shoveler? Can we maybe talk about something else? I don't really like talking about my Johns. Jobs! Work. What's, um, what's your name? Banks. But call me Walter. My ex's attorney calls me Banks. And I call him a fraudulent sack of potatoes with a pair of ears and an oversized hat. And what I call her, well, that's off the record. Not suitable for mixed company, if you know what I mean. You? Oh, I don't know your wife. My name's Jillian. Nice to meet you, Jillian. What do you do, Mr. Banks? I mean, Walter, you're not a director, are you? Me? No, no, hardly. If I may speak colorfully... I'm an earnest observer of the human condition. I notice things. I'm in the field, you know, the urban jungle. I study photos, find clues, and sit back and wait for them to tell me a story. And they always do. You're a bird watcher. How grand. I love birds. Any foul stories? Lady, you don't know the half of it. I've got stories so foul your blood will run like Lake Spicoli in the dead of winter. But I don't suppose any of them would make for good pie talk. Then how about a bird call? Uh, I, I really shouldn't. I, uh, I bit down on a pit earlier and may have chipped a tooth. Believe me, my range would be nothing to write home about. I'd be doing birds everywhere and, well, the entire ornithological field a grave injustice. You must have a keen eye, then. The keenest. Speaking of which, that's a pretty nasty-looking bruise around your eye. Oh, this? Actually, it's a... <laughs> it's a funny story. See, when I go to the grocery store, I, I I like to get the canned tomatoes, and, well, they stuck them on the top shelf, and because of my, my, you know, short stature, I had to stretch up and reach them, and, well, sometimes they fall off and, and plunk me in the eye. Yeah. That's hilarious. I guess it's not that funny. Do you, uh, have any other grocery-related anecdotes? Maybe from the produce aisle? I once had a mishap with a zucchini and a can of shortening. That sounds unpleasant. Oh, it was. Luckily, a group crowded around to help. Mainly men. Come to think of it, they mostly just stared. You sure you don't have a big brood at home? One who's lovable at times and flies off the handle at others? Why do you ask? Well, because it looks like that can that hit you had a set of knuckles. If I were you, I'd consult your grocer. Or your neighborhood morgue. Make sure to call ahead and make a reservation. They fill up fast this time of year. <laughs> I'm sorry. That 
that wasn't entirely called for. I'm, I'm a little on edge. You see, I haven't been completely honest with you. The name's not Mr. Banks. It's Detective Banks. Or, at least it was until a few weeks ago. These aren't even my pants. You mean you're not a bird watcher? Afraid not. I was one of the lead detectives on the Beggy Taylor Lee murder case. I heard the other day from one of the girls that they arrested the man responsible. One of the girls? Uh, one of the girls from my building. Well, they arrested a man. Not the man. See, the gentleman in custody, the man sitting in a cell right now waiting to hang, is this accountant by the name of Edward Carlyle, former resident of the Beverly View Apartments, less than half a mile from where they found the body. But you see, the whole thing was a smokescreen, an act. And when I didn't go along with the department and their false conviction, they suspended me, took away my shield. I suppose that's better than taking me out to a field in the middle of nowhere and putting a piece of lead in my noggin. But they'd never do that. They know me. They know I'm a coward. Who would I go to? Nobody. That's who. I'm afraid of my own shadow. I can't even tell a waitress her pie tastes like the back end of a circus mule. And after one cent funnel cake night. But they know... They know I'll just tuck my gun between my legs and carry on minding my P's and Q's. And when I return, they'll move me downstairs to traffic. And I'll write up my little reports and straighten my little desk. And at the end of each day, I'll say with a big fat grin on my face, See you tomorrow, sir. It's so sad. Is the truth ever anything less than? Then if the accountant didn't do it, who did? Lieutenant Francis Eugene Miles. My boss. Wait, Frank Miles? You heard of him? D tall guy? Big black mustache? Smoke cigars with a gold ring and red writing that says Producto de Havana Smoke Shop? Yeah. It has a small scar just under his navel? Well, I don't know about the scar, but yeah, you know him? Yeah, he's a regular. I mean, I, I recognize him from the newspaper. With his shirt off? Well... He was standing next to an ad for sun lotion. Yeah, well, he'll need plenty of it where he's going. Santa Monica. Just bought a new house for him and his wife. He's married? Yeah, and with two kids. If I had a rubber hose, I'd be... <laughs> Look, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to bring all of this up. No, it isn't that. I'm afraid I haven't been completely honest with you. You see... I came to Los Angeles to make it as an actress. When I got here, I met a sleazeball director by the name of Marx. That name sounds familiar. Something from a stag party. We went to a motel because his studio was being fumigated for African cob beetles, and, well, one compliment led to another, and there were several lines from Blimpo the Clown, you know, the W.S. Porter play, the gargling scene. Things just got a little out of hand, or should I say in hand, and then it wasn't long after that that my state of affairs got flipped upside down. <laughs> Literally. Hey, hey. It's okay. Sure, it was fine for a little while. We had a few yucks. I got to play like I was Mimi Reynolds. It was so glamorous at first. It was just sort of snowballed from there. 
these men started showing up, beastly men covered in grease and grime like they just stepped off the docks. Smelled like it too. Some were short and fat. One guy, he stood me at the wall and threw an assortment of cured meats at my, until they stuck, and then threw me to the bed. I was mortified. Sometimes Elliot gave them props and roles to play, but most of the time they just did what they wanted. Tied us up, slapped us around. They welled on Judy so bad that we had to take her to the emergency room. I didn't know what I was doing, honest. Elliot has a way with words. I thought I was doing good. Amazing the charm, and then I want so badly to leave, but he won't allow me. He has this power over me. If I don't get away, though, I'll, I'll, I'll end up in the hospital. Like, poor Judy, or even worse, dead. And uh, where might this uh, benevolent soul be this evening? He's in Anaheim until the morning. But tomorrow night he'll be processing film at his new cheapo lab. Where's that? Place we work. The Somerset Hotel. Okay, Jillian. I want you to go home. I want you to pack a suitcase. I want you to lock the door. And don't leave until you meet me outside this diner tomorrow night at 10 o'clock, where I'll pick you up. Okay. Now, where's that waitress so I can tell her what I really think of the pie? Waitress? What's that? Apple crumble? Ah, banana bread pudding. Delicious. I realize now that not only did I miss the soup and the main course, but it looks like I'll be passing on dessert as well unless I finish this story in the next few minutes. Well, we're almost there, so sit back and enjoy while you indulge in a host of empty calories and the all-but-expected post-dinner footsie with the other members of the table. Detective Banks saw in Andrews not only a scared person who needed help, but an opportunity for redemption. The next evening, the couple drove to Los Angeles' Bunker Hill and parked across from 342 Olive Street, the Somerset Hotel, a dank and dilapidated hotel where Marx had began filming the girls' sessions courtesy of a false wall leading to a room with a camera and a two-way mirror. Inside the car, though, foreboding thoughts ensued. I, uh, I'm thinking now that maybe this was a bad idea. <laughs> What's that sound? That's your foot nervously tapping the floor. Oh, okay. Good. Shall we? Don't you want me to stay in the car? No, no, uh, we should go together. Yeah, we, together. What's that sound? It's just your hand on the steering wheel. Okay, let's go. The duo inched along the third-floor hallway toward the door of the two-bit DeMille. Banks second-guessing himself with each unexplained rumpus resonating from behind the multitude of closed doors. Upon approaching Mark's room, a man stepped from the door adjusting his shirt tail and belt buckle. The face of the man was a familiar one for Banks. It's right up here. 
Well, I don't believe my eyes. If it isn't the Central Police Station's little choir boy, a long way from the altar. Detective Hacker, I should have known I'd find you here among the vermin and cockroaches. <laughs> Appears you're no better. Finally gonna start dipping your pen in the city's ink, I see. Or maybe you've already started. Who's this titillating creature? Didn't see her on the menu. Because I'm not. <laughs> Pity. Wait or bring me another order of Jillian. I'm afraid we're fresh out. Sorry, bub, it's not in season. Kitchen's closed, Jack. Jillian? Sorry. Jillian, sweetheart, I thought I heard you. Now, what on earth are you doing out here in the hallway? It doesn't matter. I'm glad you're here. I got another client coming over in about 15, and, well, Betty looks like she just stepped out in front of a train. I had to send her home. Sorry about that. I need you to cover, uh, so get out of those britches and slap on some makeup. If you're quick enough, I'll let you pick out a costume from the bin. Uh, wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> we haven't done costumes in ages. Actually, no, no, I, I want to pick it out. Elliot. Oh, okay, fine, you can pick it out, you women, I tell you. Wait, wait, who's that? Jillian. Baby, since when did you become the type to bring dessert to the party? That's nobody. Well, as long as you got a receipt. Uh, now get in here. Time's a-wasting. So, Banks, what you been doing with all this free time on your hands? You still writing those cheesy crime stories? What? Uh, look, Hacker, I can't talk to you right now. Oh, what? You gotta be someplace else? Where? Where you gotta be? Helping my Aunt Mabel cross the street? I just don't have time to talk. Buddy, you got nothing but time. And don't you forget why. I tried to warn you, you lady too, but no. Fly right, you said. Jesus, what a joke. How's these lonely nights treating you? Pretty awful, huh? At least you're doing something about it. That horse ain't as high as we all thought, was it? Yeah? People change, hacker. Yeah, people do. You don't. Look, I gotta get going. Bookie in Chinatown owes me some cheddar. I'll see you around, Banks. Jillian. Wait for it. Let's go, babe. Give her time. Come on, get ready. You can do this. <sighs> this guy tonight is a big producer for Lamar, so treat him right. You never know what could happen. I mean, this could be a big break for us. It's all about who you know. I mean, we, maybe we could get some money and do that war pick I was always talking about, you, you know? Uh, the hospital full of lonely nurses. The, the one with all the amputees. I have to go, Elliot. Well, don't let me stop you. Uh, now, use the one down the hall, though, because I'm running a stop bath in here. No. I'm leaving. This time for good. What are you, what are you talking about? I'm leaving all this. You're never going to see me or touch me again. I'm... Walking out of here tonight, Elliot, and that's that. <laughs> Baby, you're not going anywhere. Now come on, get those clothes off. No. What do you mean, no? What, what are you doing with that lamp? Jillian? Walter, I... What did you do? I don't know. I, I told him I was leaving and he... He, he just laughed at me, laughed at me in the way he always does. I, I just stopped. I'm sorry, Walter. We're gonna have to, we're gonna have to do something with him. He wasn't going 
believed. Don't you understand? I, I had to. I, I had to. I need you to find me something to tie him up with. What about these? Stockings? Yeah. You get his arms, and I'll get his legs. Be sure to get him good and tight. I'm going to pull the car around to the back, then we'll take him downstairs. And after that, well, we'll see. You stay here in case Betty or any of the other girls come back. I'm sorry, Walter. I'll be right back. Andrews proceeded to the bathroom where hundreds of feet of film laid processing in a bathtub full of chemicals. A sort of pornographic bullia base. Marx's new lab. Good riddance. Let's get a look at you in the mirror, Jillian. Oh my. You look like your brother's old catcher's mitt. Oh no. My brother. Mom and Dad, what will I tell them? What am I doing here? Just visiting my loving family. Thought I might stay for a while. California is ever so dreary. Elliot! You stupid little witch. I'm gonna kill you. You're alive? I gave you everything, and this is the thanks I get? Elliot, don't. My part is probably ruined forever because of you, you ungrateful little. Oh my god! Jillian, get off of her! Take my Jillian away, will you? Over my bloated corpse. The bin. There must be something in here. Is it with a heel, a stiletto? Yes, yes. I'm not sure if this will do anything, but I'll give it a shot. Don't fight. Just let your lungs fill. With... Ah! <coughs> Walter, are you okay, Walter? Uh, yeah. I'm fine. Get your suitcase. We're getting out of here. It's in the car. Here, let me help you out of there. Get your stuff. Let's go. Where are we going? I don't know. Doesn't matter. Okay. Anywhere. Come on. The coroner's report stated that the heel of the shoe entered the back of Elliot Marks's head between the C3 and C4 vertebrae, severing his spinal cord. Well, as you can imagine, and no charges were ever brought on Andrews or Banks. Andrews remained in Hollywood for two more years before moving back home. Walter Banks left the LAPD shortly after a suspension was lifted but took to the bottle and was killed three years later after passing out on a set of train tracks outside of Los Angeles. If you find yourself driving through California along Route 27, be sure and stop off at a, for all intents and purposes, typical looking hotel called The Swan. Make your way up to room 809, where the dinginess of the long abandoned and long demolished Somerset Hotel has been captured to an astonishing degree. The room has been fitted with neon lights outside the windows, which shine through the curtains, casting the walls in red, and speakers hidden throughout that play a constant loop of faint moaning 
and the sound of a headboard banging against the wall of the neighboring suite. Hanging high and low, from lamps and fixtures and even the shower rod, are film strips of vintage porn. Candles have been placed, and when lit, they smell of emulsion. And in the bathroom sits a replica of a murder weapon, a black shoe with a nine-inch solid steel stiletto heel secured to the edge of the bathtub. Join us next time as we explore a different room and offer you another grim tale from the Swan Hotel. Tales from the Swan Hotel is written and directed by Thaddeus Ellenberg and produced by Will Scoble. Tonight's episode starred Ryan Cronin as Elliot Marks, Kate Jones as Jillian Andrews, Sean Keen as Walter Banks, and Jason Dove as Detective Robert Graceman. Featuring additional voice talents of Josh Marcus, Rich Dryling, Allison Mick, and Nick Paul. And I'm Ron Chapman. Original theme by Nick Stargu, with artwork by Justin Devine. Please be sure to rate and review us on iTunes and Stitcher.